This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversation with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann, not in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, because I am in Devonport in Auckland, and I am sitting in the office of Jika Smith. Welcome, Jika. Welcome you. To, you to your house. Thank you. It was very nice being in my home with you, Sam. <laughs> And who are we talking with today, Jika? You're talking with Maeve O'Brien, who's a very close friend of mine, but is one of the most global people I know who has lived all over the world, but is currently in lockdown in Melbourne. And I'm really interested to know how she's doing, how she's feeling, and uh, what she's learning from all these different experiences. Um, and her work is tourism and sustainable tourism, so it would be Sounds really lovely fun. to find out about that as well. Welcome, Maeve. Thank you so much. Hi, Jika. Hi, Sam. Hi, yeah. Nice to be on this show. Wow, what an honor. <laughs> so how was your lockdown? You're back in lockdown. Yes, we are back in lockdown. So interestingly enough, I arrived in uh, Melbourne in early March via Sydney in the days when you could just transfer through from one city to another. Uh, went into lockdown um, in Melbourne, then came out and things were easing a little bit. And now we're back into lockdown again, into the into the third week of it, I believe. So yeah, it's been it's been interesting. And prior to that, I was in Jakarta in lockdown. And prior to that, I was in Belgium in lockdown. <laughs> so I have spent most of this year in lockdown. So what do you need to know, Sam? <laughs> I've already asked you about the toilet paper situation, but there must be a few other hints you can give us. <laughs> well, absolutely. It's it's fascinating, actually, how uh, lockdown is is operated or perceived in different countries. So mm-hmm. um, uh, you mentioned in the introduction that I do a lot of work in tourism, which used to, used to allow me to go from uh, one country to another with relative ease. So early on in the year, I was... Um, Living, I, I live actually full time in Jakarta. Um, and then I was in Senegal doing a project and I managed to get out of Senegal on the last flight before they locked down in February, March. And <laughs> wow. then I went to Belgium where I stayed with my sister for a few days as I was trying to get back to Jakarta via Thailand. And uh, that was beginning to, you know, obviously in Belgium, things were starting to get very serious and they were starting to lock down there. And then uh, I finally arrived in Jakarta to go into lockdown in Jakarta, only to be told then that uh, I really had to, to come to Australia. My my partner uh, works um, in normally in Jakarta, but uh, the business kind of said, "Look, you need to you need to move very quickly back to Australia." So I'm here, and we picked Melbourne <laughs> to come and stay in. Uh, because we both have a penchant for a lockdown, as you can imagine. So, <laughs> so no, her uh, her family lives here, so that's why we're here in Melbourne at the moment. Are the messages the same in all the places you've been? Uh, they're not. Uh, I think the initially the the lockdown in in Belgium was was very very strict, um, and there was a lot of restrictions. Um, when I came here to Australia, other than staying indoors for the you know for the 14 days um when i came out i was quite surprised people were going for their takeaway coffees they were exercising they were going down the street um outdoor markets were open farmers markets things like that um even in jakarta at that stage just before i left in jakarta things were really starting to close down there the streets were empty People were not moving about, but I, I noticed here in in Australia, not only in Melbourne but also in Sydney, that 
movement wasn't really that restricted other than being in quarantine and then, you know, being asked to go home and, and stay at home. Uh, now, when I look out the window most days, I, I look across. I'm very fortunate. I get to look at the beach, um, even though it's wintertime. Lots of people are still swimming and uh, doing, yeah, doing all sorts of uh, sea exercises, as I call them, windsurfing and things, things that you wouldn't necessarily do in the winter in Ireland, <laughs> but they're doing them here, no problem. Um, and it's, it's, again, lots of people with lots of activities. However, in the last uh, last couple of days, last week, we now have to wear masks when we leave the house. Mm. So, but you can still get a takeaway coffee, and you can still go to a farmer's market. So there you go. Let's go for the first of your music selections. Let's go for Lisa Hannigan with Braille. Why this one? Um, it's from a film. I can't remember the name of it, but Colin Farrell is in it, and it's the story of. Uh, what we call in Ireland the silkies and they're the seals that are supposed to be women who come ashore and leave their silky coats uh, on the sand and they come ashore and uh, take the form of, of women and then they go back to the sea after they've had their wicked way with the local men <laughs> and they go back into the sea um, as seals so this song reminds me very much of that film and just the loveliness of the west coast of Ireland. So in addition to 
running around the world to escape a pandemic and surviving a <laughs> pandemic. Are you managing to get some work done? Um, I'm, I'm actually very surprised at the amount of work and I'm very grateful that um, I'm, I'm working a lot. Um, and that's a good sign because I, I work in tourism, which of course is crumbling all around us, but I work in the overseas development aid sector. So I work with, uh, for example, New Zealand aid, AusAid, uh, German aid, mm-hmm. um, uh, French Development Corporation, Luxembourg Development Corporation. So I, I, I work with these uh, government organizations who want to use tourism as a mechanism for poverty alleviation or developing uh, sustainable tourism in developing economies, that kind of thing. So that's kind of the area that I work in. And uh, I, when I was leaving Jakarta and coming over to Melbourne, I thought to myself, oh, you know, this is going to be the end of projects. But thankfully, um, governments in the EU and governments in Australia and New Zealand are, are still putting money into substantial projects in, in tourism, particularly in sustainable tourism. So I'm, I'm really pleased that that's happening. And the other learning from this is, of course, you can do a lot of this without having to travel so much. So mm-hmm. I work for a, a sustainable tourism company called Maskantour based in Germany. And I'm very glad to say that we've been able to adapt quite quickly to do a lot of our consulting, you know, using Zoom and other mechanisms uh, to kind of fill the gap at the moment. Yes, we will have to go and return to certain destinations. But I think everybody is learning across the board now that we over travel and that mm. half of these uh, long haul flights can possibly be done uh, mm. via Zoom or some other mechanism. It's yeah. been interesting as we've become more constrained. It really has made us think quite differently about things. And a whole pile of things we didn't think were possible turn out to be possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I'm amazed uh, every day. Um, first of all, you know, they talk about the, the Zoom fatigue or the Teams fatigue or whatever. Um, personally, I don't suffer too badly from it. Um, considering last year's travel where I was just in airports the whole, the whole time, this is kind of, uh, I'm seeing this as a time of replenishment, actually, uh, and being able to do a lot of this work online. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this is kind of leading into a whole new era, I hope, of tourism consumption. So I'm, I'm hoping that tourism will become, let's say, not only more sustainable as a result of this pandemic, we can wish, but I think maybe more, even more resilient. Um, so yeah. These are my, my, my thoughts so far on tourism and how I'm managing to work. So, yeah, I'm grateful. A lot so, of work. So are, are people, are countries, actively moving to a, preparing for a slower form of tourism? I think certainly the, the countries that have been suffering from over-tourism are really rethinking this. And I think governments and destinations and tourism authorities in developing economies are really starting to stand back and see, you know, something we do not, we, we don't want to make the same mistakes as the more developed economies. So let's really look at another way of doing this. Um, with, you know, the, the reality is still there. Uh, for example, working in Senegal, you know, when I left Senegal, I just knew that the tourism industry there was just going to was it was going to crash for a while because, of course, the flights are stopped and people had been had been kind of looking forward to a bumper year, actually. Um, uh, so that that that's just so hard to see as you leave people kind of resign to knowing that this year's tourism is out the door. However, mm. even even in 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 Senegal, places like that, there they were already starting to look at a more sustainable and a more resilient tourism product. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, they were kind of moving away from the mass market uh, on the beach type tourist offerings to developing their cultural tourism sites, uh, mm-hmm. more inland tourism. 
um, focusing on developing uh, regions that would not necessarily be associated with tourism because they're you know, just further away from the beaches, which are in Senegal absolutely glorious. So there, th this, this thinking was already there and in many other uh, developing economies. The thinking is already there. They see the mistakes. They've watched the, the horrendous situation of Southern Europe, you know, where, where yes. mass marketing has, has just, uh, the mass market has, has killed uh, so many tourist regions. So yeah, it, th there, is, there is hope for the future, but you know, I'm still nervous. You know, people tend to go back to their old habits sometimes, so we have to wait and see. Yeah, much as we liked not rushing around and even just in our cars locally during the the our strongest lockdown, and everyone was saying, "This is quite nice. Why don't we do this? This is this is this is all right." Um, and then as soon as we came down through the lockdowns, we got back in our cars and started getting busy again. There you go. I wonder if it's going to be the same for tourism. Are people going to be on those flights to Bali? Um, I would probably think so, but you know, um, I think um, I think the people of Bali, um, again, already before the pandemic, were already making substantial changes to the destination and trying to cope with. Uh, things like the pollution levels, um, you know, the horrendous plastic, mm -hmm. the water issues, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think there was, there was already some steps being made to kind of curb the numbers, uh, what they used to call the zero dollar tourism, you know, the tourists that come in that actually cost the destination more money to have them than not. Um, so I think there, I, I think there was some steps being taken before that, but you know, it, anything that we predict right now will go out the window tomorrow morning. Mm. So, uh, we just have to, we have to wait this one out, I think. But mm. I, I am more optimistic about tourism consumption and also the trends. Also, the younger generation coming up, they're not as willing to trash the place like mm. my generation was. So. Um, there is a greater awareness across definitely Southeast Asia. I mean, I've lived in Indonesia, but also in Laos and, and um, Singapore. There's greater, there is definitely a greater awareness of by young people that, you know, you, you can't keep, keep the pace, you can't keep trashing the place. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orakunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahu hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are, and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very fulfilling, and illuminating for you each day who you are triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you so i have been really loving this conversation that we've been having together for five minutes each day it's helped me so much to reframe and navigate this unprecedented emotional roller coaster of learning and growth through lockdown level four, level three, level two, and now here we are in level one. And I'm so grateful for everybody's contribution to this. We are so lucky. And of course, we're all contributing all the time to this process of co-evolution on our paradise planet. One of the big ways that we do co-evolve is through conversation. And I had some wonderful conversations today that I thought I would share with you. So for me, I really love language and I love how we can use language to change how we feel. We're so lucky that our consciousness allows us to really influence it so much. It's such a beautiful partnership and dance that we have. And I love reframing and renaming. And in this way, I feel that I can really enjoy directing my energy in a constructive way. So, for example, this year we've had Planuary, Freebuary, Barch, Hopeful, Yay, 
Swoon, we're now in July. We're soon to head into August. September. October. No spender. Free Simba. So in this way, you can see that I'm really focusing my energy in different ways. And October was only invented today thanks to conversation. So now that we are all free in level one, Kalu Kalei, I was able to go and have my hair done, which of course is such a pleasure and privilege. And I had the great pleasure and privilege of conversation during my pampering session. And what came out of this was such a diverse group of beautiful wahine sharing their experience of this unprecedented global pandemic time. Some of them were essential workers and had been working all the way through, hadn't had a, the best time. Some had been at home with lots and lots of offspring and while they really enjoyed engaging with their whānau, hadn't had the opportunity really to have that downtime and self-reflection. Some had and some had really enjoyed that. Some had had a mixture, as I'm sure we all had, of aspects that they really, really enjoyed and want to carry forward and some other aspects they want to let go of and not reincorporate. But every single person that I have talked to since we have reunited and throughout that journey from level four to level one loved reconnecting with the real world. And of course, when I say that, I'm talking about the living world, the natural world. And they saw that world returning and they felt that connection to it. And every time I hear this, I feel so much hope because when we see the real world and we recognize it and we reconnect with it, we are seeing ourselves and we are reconnecting with ourselves. And that is what I really want for everybody. And that is the connection that has helped me the most in my life. And I want everybody to have access to it. So for the month of October, obviously we would be giving all the essential workers time off in lieu to enjoy a paid sense of freedom. We would be bringing in all the things from lockdown that we love, like time with our family, time to create time for self-reflection, time to nurture the home, and really whatever else we want. Of course, we're being encouraged to support national tourism, so the sky's the limit, as they say. So I hope for you, for your own October, there are some things you would like to celebrate, and I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. So, babe, one of the reasons that Sam's in Auckland here with me is because we've actually just done a road trip from the bottom of the New Zealand to the top to give, to bring a car that I needed up. And one of the wow. things that we, you know, we we are in such an incredibly lucky position to be able to do that, but mm -hmm. also that is actually what we are being encouraged to do because of the stage that New Zealand is currently in, mm -hmm. um, that we are asked... To, to participate in internal tourism as much as possible to generate, you know, new tourism dollars for these businesses. Mm. So yep. have you got any comments on internal tourism in any of these other countries? Is any of that happening elsewhere? Absolutely. It's kind of what's sustaining uh, a lot of countries right now. And mm -hmm. uh, we can use uh, Bali again as an example. I mean, they will be opening very, very soon for domestic tourism. Um, and creating those little regional bubbles, you know, for example, again, in the EU, Belgium, Spain, France, uh, traveling between them isn't too, too much of a problem right now, whereas other countries have, you know, they're, they're still uh, not allowing flights in from certain places. So the bubbles are, are starting, the, the corridors are being created. Um, and certainly, you know, some countries, let's say again, Senegal and the surrounding regions, they may have stopped international flights, but, uh, you know, regional trade is still ongoing cross-border between the Gambia, let's say, and, and Senegal cross-border mm -hmm. activity would still be, mm -hmm. would still be happening. Um, so yes, the bubbles are, are, are starting and, you know, s sometimes they could never stop. It, it was just not possible, 
mm. for these for this for these kind of uh, travel travel business uh, people going back and forth uh, traders etc. It it was impossible for mm. for for some for some of that to stop. Um, again, it will it it's slowly but surely kicking off here in, in definitely in Southeast Asia. It would be. Um, I mean, even uh, some of the Southeast Asian countries like Cambodia, they would have weathered the storm pretty well. Laos, uh, Lao PDR, they say that already the, they're COVID free. Myanmar mm-hmm. are saying the same thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, the numbers may not be there. They might not actually bear uh, a reality to what's happening on the ground, but I know a lot of people who are very now very active in these countries and they're going about their their business. So, so yeah, the bubbles are starting. Let's play a song that doesn't describe Cambodia. Let's play Lisa Harrigan's "Snow." Why this one? Oh, it's again um, snow. You would think coming from Southern Ireland that I would have seen my fair share of snow, but actually because I'm on the, the West Coast, we have the Gulf Stream gently brushing the coast of County Kerry, so we're, we're pretty lucky. So I never saw snow really until I was much older and when I did, Lisa Hannigan's uh, words reminded me of that first time I saw snow. You and me, our boots creaking quietly. We will never be here. 
of all of the societal things that we've seen, the changes we've seen in the last six, seven, eight <laughs> How many months? months, what do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Um, I think what will stick is... I think actually it's going to be the, 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 the conversation. Conversation has just taken off again. Um, I am now inclined to, instead of seeing people sitting down at benches or leaning against walls, because I, I shouldn't say that people are actually loitering around here in Melbourne because that's illegal. Nobody loiters at a coffee shop, I promise, okay? Um, but if they were to spend a second or two taking the lid off their coffee, uh, I, I notice that people are just talking to each other more and there's more um, interaction, let's say, between strangers. And especially somebody like myself, I might not be taken for an Australian. I know that's hard for you to understand, Sam, <laughs> but sometimes people actually think I'm not Australian. And uh, when I do order a coffee, um, you know, that's second or third or fourth question will come out or, you know, how are you doing? Um, are you okay? You know, are you all right? Are you away from the family or are they here? That kind of thing. Mm. And I wouldn't have necessarily received that kind of um, interest before. And also just people generally bantering, standing around outside waiting for the coffees. You know, the, the automatic thing now is not just to bring out the phone and check social media. People already kind of feel, I think, a little bit weird standing around in their masks. So they're inclined to look for that other set of eyes that seems to be looking upwards rather than downwards. Are you one of these people that would like the sort of the gap in the mouth, you know, in the mask that you can smile at people because you are a very warm, <laughs> gentle person. <laughs> I can't imagine Ma Maeve with a mask on her actually because she's so <laughs> smiling. <laughs> I think, I don't know, I think you can tell by, by other uh by other, as we call them at home uh, in Ireland, gachis, little actions, you'd, you'd see people kind of, you know, almost nodding the head or tipping yeah. the head to acknowledge you or a hand sign or, and you know, you just look at the eyes and you can see the creases if they're giving you a grin. So I, I, I think we can, we're, we're finding new ways of, of communicating. And I, I like that because I've seen a lot of this in my travels because obviously I travel to so many countries where I don't speak the local language. So you have to find some kind of uh, a mechanism by which you can you can communicate. And quite quite often it's the nod. I find mm -hmm. the nod of the head is an international hello, how are you symbol. And it works really, really well. You're talking about finding new ways of communicating. I just want to loop back to the the tourism are people exploring new ways of of doing tourism or offering tourism products uh, are, yeah. are people doing putting up virtual tours is, is that being successful anywhere it is actually um i've noticed that there is uh, the idea of being the virtual tourist so people are already planning their holidays for next year now nobody knows what's going to happen next year the point is is that people are by their nature they're planning and a lot of destination management organizations or regions or companies are responding by providing very visual tours or visual experiences or they're they're putting something new and unusual up on YouTube to kind of cut through the the noise of other destinations. So there is a lot of um, reliance on pictures, videos and, in, you know, interaction. But again, I, I would say that that trend had already started pre-pandemic and then the pandemic has actually just, it's just accelerated the, the, the development of these, of these tools. So for example, uh, I, I did uh, some work in, in Hainan in, in China uh, last year and the year before, and they were already trying to uh, send out a message to say, look, come and learn seriously learn about the culture here. We're happy to have this interaction with you. And here's a, here's a, a wee uh, touch of what you can experience when you arrive. So they had already started putting together some really cool um, visual temptations, if you know what I mean, to, to, to give China a try. Because 
obviously it would be a, a destination with a, a language barrier and sometimes maybe even a, a cultural barrier as such so they were really trying to to reach out to the asia pacific region for for to entice tourists and you'll see that a, a lot as well in in countries like laos uh, which is a developing economy um it's kind of the forgotten developing economy of that region. Everybody knows Cambodia, everybody knows Myanmar, everybody knows Vietnam. But Laos is also trying to, to reach out using the virtual. And there have been some amazing um, films and uh, YouTube videos coming out, just again, whetting the appetite and breaking down the barriers. After I'm all, it, sorry, I was just going to say, it, 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 the whole thing now about tourism is the experience. Again, mm -hmm. the, the need started pre-pandemic. Now it's even more so because we want to feel safe when we travel. We want to feel like we're at, more than like we're at home. We want to feel, you know, coddled when we travel, not necessarily mm -hmm. by materialistic uh, or material stuff, but more like feeling that we're we're welcome and we're being looked after that that's a very strong need and those experiences are being reflected especially in developing economies they're trying to put together really nice products and services for that i know that you were um feeling that particularly yourself when you were in hanana quite a lot and you, i know you've told me some of the wonderful stories there of the um, the beauty and the generosity of those people um, Absolutely. Some of the best experiences you've ever had, I think, have been there. And yet it's not a region anyone knew anything about. So yeah. do you want to yeah. say any more about, you know, what you've been doing or any yeah, experiences? Sure. Um well I've 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 as I said to you previously, I've been I've been now working a lot from uh home, obviously. Uh, so what's happening is there's a, a lot of the destination management organizations and indeed the overseas development agencies they know that they can't send uh, consultants to destinations right now. So they're looking for alternatives. And, and one of the things that that might have been on the, the back boiler, as we say, is uh, is digital solutions or digital learning. Um, a lot of the overseas development agencies would have said, oh, you know, you can't really use digital micro learning or mobile micro learning for you know, developing economies, they don't have the internet, they won't, they mm -hmm. don't have smartphones, blah, 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 blah. And of course, the people on the ground, the consultants on the ground, the, the, the development workers on the ground would say, no, 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 that's not the case, you know. And I think now, because development aid, they don't want to reduce their budgets, they actually want to increase them. Uh, they're saying, wait a minute, maybe there is something now to digital mobile learning. So as a result, I'm doing uh, some, you know, mobile learning, uh, micro learning for for young entrepreneurs in uh, Senegal. So young individuals who would have their own businesses, mm -hmm. they would be looking to, let's say, use or go on social media to try and attract tourists directly rather than going through a third party like you know, a, a booking agency or whatever. And sometimes they're not familiar with the tools. Uh, what can I do with my Facebook page? What can I do with Instagram? What can I do with, you know, this, that, and the other thing? So we're, we're doing uh, mobile micro learning for them in Senegal uh, so that they can go on their smartphones and they can learn about how they can better improve let's say their 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 facebook page to attract more tourists and let's say their target market which is possibly now not just france anymore they're now trying to target people in germany or they're trying to target people in, in the netherlands or whatever so um young entrepreneurs like that really appreciate mobile micro learning they can learn anytime any place anywhere and it's it's small it's bite-sized and it's it's useful so from that, we have decided that uh, Mascon Tour, we can also do that in Uzbekistan. So in Uzbekistan, we're doing uh, mobile micro learning for uh, hotels and guest houses in a, a pretty remote region where they can also learn about maybe uh, just tweaking their products to maybe suit the international market more. So, for example, in a guest house in Uzbekistan, uh, they might not have been doing a, a cookery class, but Uzbek food, as I've discovered, is absolutely delicious. 
-hmm. And all you need to do is do a cooking class as well as maybe giving <laughs> them an Airbnb or whatever. So suddenly you have uh, this whole new experience being developed in Uzbekistan. So through mobile micro learning, they're able to, uh, let's say, put together a cooking class and do it in a way that would attract the international audience. So that's one of the things I'm finding out now is uh, people's uh, insatiable desire to learn uh, mm -hmm. while this pandemic is going on and literally prepare themselves to be more resilient in tourism mm -hmm. going forward. Mm. You're using the word resilient there. And, and yeah. we've had some discussion about whether or not this is a, we're aiming for a, recover, a recovery from, mm -hmm. from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Or uh, is it a regeneration? And, and I think you're you're seeing the potential for tourism to be in that regeneration space that is actually having a positive impact. Absolutely. Um, I think the reason I like to use resilience is because I see regeneration, renew, recovery. I see that as phases leading towards resilience. So, I mean, it's not just the pandemic, it's the climate change issue. Look at what happened mm -hmm. here, um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, before Christmas with the bushfires, etc. Um, it, it, I, I think if we are, if we are going to work in the arena of developing tourism and especially into, in developing economies, we need to start talking about resilient tourism and saying, look, um, we are on the road to recovery now. You do need to be more innovative and more adaptive in your products and services. You do need to review what you've done before, what has worked, what hasn't worked, but you also need to be aware of the trends that are coming. And if we do all of these things, you're just building resilience more and more and more. Um, so that's why I try to talk, especially with the overseas development agencies, more about their approach to projects that they're not so, um, we call them kind of push the envelope projects, you know, well, we did this in Myanmar, so we can do this in East Timor. Uh, we did this in, 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 uh, Laos, so now we can bring that whole thing to Cambodia and, I think what we're trying to, to say here, especially in my organization, is that resilience for each destination and right down to each region has to be tailor-made. It has to be very, very unique to that region. And the people of that region need to feel that by creating tourism products and services, that they too are benefiting and their kids are benefiting and the community is benefiting. Now, people would say, ah, Maeve, you're only just rehashing the old sustainable tourism jargon. And to a degree, I might be, but I think we're all so immune to the word sustainability now. We have to come up with something new. I think if I started cracking on about sustainability next year, people would just go to sleep, you know. But if I start talking about, look, we had the pandemic, we've had the, we have the climate change, we have issues of coastal erosion, we have horrendous pollution. We really now need to look at, the, at this as a, as an, as a, as not individual happenings that happen. You know, it is all connected and we need to look at all of them if we're going to have more resilient destinations. So, in that way, we can encourage the overseas developing agency, uh, development agencies to maybe have a more holis holistic look. And we might be able to even get them to work together more, which is like called in Europe, I think it's called harmonization. Uh, but, you know, it would be great that uh, these development agencies wouldn't come in and keep reinventing the same wheel over and over again. But then that's maybe a wish list for me. I don't know. So I have some questions to end the show with and not very much time to get through them. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, the, the biggest success for me has been uh, I, I built a school in Laos for hospitality, tourism, education and training. Uh, it's in the capital and it's called the Lao National Institute of Tourism and Hospitality. Mm -hmm. And I spent six years there 
Mm-hmm. And when I arrived there, there was nothing. And when I left there, there was a, there's a school for 200, 300 plus students, four diplomas, and it's looking good. So that was the joy of my life was living in Laos and, and doing that. There have been loads of other things along the way, but I must say that was the highlight. Wonderful. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our collection of people doing good work. So you're on our team. You're on our mansion. What is the superpower that's got you there? The superpower that got me there? Yeah. Um, um, I, I, I think it is the superpower. I think it's just I understand that no can mean many different things in many different languages. If no is said in China, it's different to the no in Lao, it's different to the no in Singapore. And I think finding that out has been my greatest asset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you, yeah. do you consider yourself to be an activist? Um, I consider myself to be an activist. Yes, I do. What are you activist about? I won't shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I won't stand by. Let's put it like that. I and the older I get, the less likely I am to stand by. So Mm -hmm. I I won't be quiet. I won't be silenced and I won't be quiet. Mm -hmm. And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, apart from coffee <laughs> apart from great Australian coffee well I haven't been to New Zealand yet so I'm sure there's great coffee there too <laughs> uh, what gets me out of bed in the morning is uh, I absolutely adore my job and I am very fortunate to have the most wonderful partner on the planet what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years I am looking forward to to literally spreading the word about this tourism resilience and having more conversations about it and actually implementing some more of the uh, the ideas that I've had this year um, that is allowing young young people to access really good quality education and training in tourism uh, on their mobile um, mm-hmm. micro learning. And uh, yeah, I, that's what was the question again? That that's what I'm Challenge. looking forward to. Challenge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and to and to kind of um, get, get the get more overseas development agencies to see this as a as a mechanism, as a really solid mechanism for for growing tourism and growing it well. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Think about lockdown. (laughs) (laughs) Think about, really think about how you want to holiday in the future. Think about where you want to go and why you want to go and who are you going to bring and what are you going to do when you get there? Really, really think about it and then ask yourself, hmm, maybe I can do this at home. Thank you very much for that. We'll go out to the undertones with Teenage Kicks. (laughs) Thank you.
been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Sounds like you've eventually found one, kind of. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've had a contribution from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann with Jika Smith in Devonport, Auckland, and we've been joined by Maeve O'Brien in Melbourne. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.